0: That's the sound of your Miami Sports podcast, but it's a little bit different this time around. First of all, Will Manso here on the pod and this pod doesn't have Clay as much as I love him and I miss him. Doesn't have Dookie Lang as much as I love him and I won't miss him. Instead, it's just me talking some heat basketball with you as the Miami Heat set to open the season in Orlando on Wednesday night. They've got back-to-back road games to open the 2018-2019 campaign against the Magic and then Washington, it's the Wizards that come home. Saturday for their home opener. So as it stands right now in the way we look at things, uh, what I'm going to do with this podcast is simple. I'm going to preview the season. I'm going to uh, let you know some of the conversations I've had with Heat players, with Heat head coach Eric Spolstra, bring you in and some of the conversations we had throughout training camp uh, with what you should expect from this team. Now, what you should expect to start the season is a team that's a little banged up. So let's get that out of the way before uh, it becomes some sort of a narrative, which it shouldn't be. The Heat should get healthy pretty soon, but going into the opener against Orlando, they don't have Dion Waiters. As we know, he had the offseason ankle surgery. The Heat are hopeful he comes back sooner than later. I think November is a good target date for Dion. Uh, he's doing some work. The Heat are trying to get him into that Heat basketball Heat culture shape that he was in a couple of years ago, it was so good when he was in shape and when he was healthy. But they're being patient because they understand they need Dion. They need Dion to, the, despite the fact that they've got a really Big rotation. A lot of guys that they've got to mix and match for Eric Spolster to kind of figure out who he needs to use. Dion is, I think, a key contributor. It's a big reason why they gave him that big contract uh, a season ago. So Dion's health is number one. Number two is James Johnson, who had the offseason surgery as well for sports hernia. J.J. returned to practice late in training camp in the exhibition season and is on target to be back soon. He's not going to play in that opener in Orlando if it was up to JJ, he'd not only play the opener, but he'd play about 35 minutes. But he'd want to be uh, cautious with him as they should be, because I think last year what you saw from James Johnson was a shell of the player you saw the previous year. And again, we talk about Dion's contract, JJ's contract. A big reason why he got that deal was because he showed so much ability—the ability to not only defend and play multiple positions and be versatile, but the ability to slash and finish and rebound and take big shots and shoot threes, something he was improving on. And then last year, took a huge step back, uh, was having trouble finishing, didn't have that explosion, uh, just did not seem like the same player. And I think it let a lot of Heat fans, a lot of people around the NBA wonder, did the Heat overpay and and just kind of spend on a one-year wonder, a guy who had a career year and that was it. The Heat don't believe that. They believe that after this offseason surgery, he's going to be back strong and you're going to see that explosive James Johnson. And let's be honest, Heat fans, they need that guy. They need that versatile guy that he wasn't last year and that he certainly was two years ago. All right, the other two injuries, Justice Winslow, late in camp having a hamstring injury. The Heat don't seem too concerned, but he's doubtful to play in the opener. I would guess he may miss those first two road games, along with Wayne Ellington, same story. He's got an ankle problem that he uh, developed late in training camp and in the exhibition season. Two guys that are are vital rotation players. I wouldn't expect these injuries to linger, but the Heat want to make sure they don't linger by being careful, not rushing them back, getting the proper treatment. So that's where the injury situation stands. So I wanted to get that out of the way because I really don't think, as much as on the surface you say, okay, this is kind of a banged-up team going into the season, uh, these are injuries that uh, I mentioned the the latter two that they expect soon, and then the other two were ones we've known all offseason, and the target was always to have J.J. and Deion ready early in the season in the first month, month and a half. J.J. obviously sooner, uh, but I think you want to see this team at full strength. Come December, I think by December, I think that's the target for this team to kind of be at full strength. And I'll tell you why it's important, too, because the Heat have a huge opportunity. I'm not much into pick a win. Here's your win. Here's your loss. I think this team's going to win. Look at night in and night out. We know the NBA is filled with drama. We know teams and certainly the Heat have proven that get upset all the time. But the Heat are in position, in particular with the first nine games of the season, to have a really strong start to the season. And I think that's so important for this team because it's a team that right now is on the outside looking in from the elite in the East. Let's go through the East. You got Boston, cream of the crop. I think, I think there's no doubt that with Gordon Hayward back, you know, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, uh, Kyrie Irving, I mean, a good coach in Brad Stevens, the experience they got last year, this is the team to beat in the East. Philly, a team that Heat fans we all saw in the first round last year, a team on the rise, a team still with some question marks, but I still think it's a team that when you look at, that's one of the teams in the East that you say, hey, if things fall into place and the young players continue to improve, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, that's a team. I think Marco Fultz is another guy. Can he get his shot together? What happens there for a guy who was a high draft pick? Obviously, I think that's a team that you say to yourself, okay, that's a definite in the upper tier. Toronto now with Kawhi Leonard. You know, they, they tried it with DeMar DeRozan for so long, and that was a team that during the regular season was as good as it could get in the East and never had that playoff success. Now you've got a guy who's had plenty of playoff success out West with San Antonio and Kawhi Leonard. That's a team that I think you look at, and you say to yourself, with Kyle Lowry, you know, with Danny Green, that's a team that you say to yourself, that's a team that, that's going to be in that upper tier. And I think the next grouping, I think you start looking around, you look at Milwaukee you look at Indy, you look at these teams that took a step last year, led by young star players, obviously Giannis Antetokounmpo for the Bucks, uh, Victor Oladipo, the great season he had last year for the Pacers. I think those teams, those four or five teams I just mentioned, are going to be up there, and you're going to look at those teams as, okay, those are the teams to beat. Those are the teams that I think, even as the most optimistic Heat fan, And in my case, someone who covers the Heat for the team, covers the Heat for here at Local 10, and that considers myself, look, I'm a homer. I want to see the Heat do well. I think this is a good team. Uh, They're not in that category. They're just not. The big storyline in the last month, Jimmy Butler. As I tape this podcast and look ahead of the season, Jimmy Butler is obviously not a member of the Miami Heat. So to sit here and break down what Jimmy Butler would bring to the Heat and what it would take to bring Jimmy Butler, consider we had a month of that. I think I'm going to leave that alone. I think I'm going to just do this podcast with the as-is team. If the Heat get Jimmy Butler, trust me, we'll do another podcast. Clay and Duke will be involved in that one, and we'll break down the ramifications. I've said all along for the Heat to make that next step, they need a superstar. Uh, Jimmy Butler, to me, is a top 15 player in the NBA. I think he's a superstar. I think more than that, he's a Heat culture type guy. And I think even more than that, as we know, Jimmy is the kind of guy that if you sign him, or I should say trade for him and then sign him in the offseason, He's the kind of guy that can then bring that next grouping of guys to come along. It takes a star to bring a star normally. That's why the Heat the last couple of years have had a hard time signing free agents. It hasn't just been financial. Uh, I think you look at the situations that other players have gone to. Gordon Hayward, a perfect example. The opportunity to play with his college, former college coach, also to play in Boston, but to play with Kyrie Irving and to play in a situation where you've got another star next to you. Anyone who just signs with the Heat doesn't have that. That's why the Heat likely, if they're going to make a big move in the next year or two, it will have to come via trade and given their salary cap issues as well. You get a Jimmy Butler, you sign him then with the bird rights that he brings, then all of a sudden, if you make some deals and you have some situations you can move money around, then you bring those other superstars. But it takes that one domino to fall. So I'll leave the Jimmy Butler at that. Jimmy Butler's the domino that needs to fall. I've advocated for it all offseason. I think it would be a solid move to get Jimmy Butler. I think it would be a needed move for this franchise. But I understand you can't just give everything away. And from the sounds of it, the the T-Wolves are in a position where they've just been asking for too much. And I think that uh, that the Heat are going to be patient. I think they, they know Jimmy Butler has to be moved. They have made it clear to the T-Wolves they want Jimmy Butler. When the time comes, if that time comes again in the next week or two, I think the Heat are going to be right in the middle of that conversation. All right, so let's get to the conversation of this roster. Uh, Pat Riley called it a logjam. There's no doubt it is. Uh, Eric Spolster, I do not envy him. When everyone is healthy, and I opened up talking about the health, when everyone is healthy, I, I don't envy the situation he's going to have night in and night out. Because when you look at this team, you look at the 7-11 combo, the way as good as they were in the second half of two seasons ago, Goran Dragic, Deion Waiters played well together, uh, both finishing, both scores, both attacking, penetrating. The Heat are hopeful that that's what they're going to get, again, starting when Dion gets healthy. But even until Dion gets healthy – Gorin is an attacker. Gorin is the guy that gets this team started. He's the guy who usually has those big first quarters. He's the guy, the conductor, the guy that makes this train go. He's important, and he's a guy that's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. But you look at the development of Josh Richardson, and you say to yourself, if there's a guy that's going to make another step on this team, that next step, you have the three young guys, the three core guys that you talk about, in Josh Richardson, Justice Winslow, and Bam Adebayo. Out of those three, the one that is most likely to make a significant step this year, I think, is clearly Josh Richardson. He showed it in the preseason, some of the games when he came back. He had a Bruce thigh uh, midway through camp, ended up being fine, had some big games. Josh is that guy who you know is going to play defense. But if he can develop into anything more than just a 12, 13-point-a-game guy, you've got yourself a guy that's going to be in that next tier, not a superstar, but in that next tier of glue and necessary guys that you need to be successful. That's why, you know, getting a superstar is so important. But I could see why the Heat have been reluctant in all these trade talks to give up Jay Rich. Jay Rich is the guy to look at. He, I think, uh, more than anyone on this team is the guy you say to yourself, if anyone's going to make a significant step on this team from being a good NBA player to a, just a, a, a next step, not elite, but damn good NBA player, it's Josh Richardson. Uh, justice has got the capability to take that next step i thought his shooting last year obviously improved percentage wise but i still think that there's there's a feeling among heat fans and, and more importantly than heat fans because we're always going to be harder on guys because you just want guys to be good all of a sudden you want you want justice to shoot 40 percent from three and keep it there last year was at 38 but you wonder about the volume can he do that over high volume justice is the guy that can take a big step as well but i think you have to limit your your expectations as to what type of offensive step he takes. I think if Justin's, Justice can become a consistent double-digit score, keep the percentage somewhere in the 30s, even with high volume from three, and play the type of defense he's shown he can play, I think you've got yourself a next step. But where Justice really, I think, can take the next step this year is his ball handling. You look at the Heat roster, and it's the similar story they've had now for a couple of season, seasons now. They don't have a backup point guard. They don't have a real backup point guard. They have plenty of ball handlers. Some of the names I already mentioned, Jay Rich being one, Deion. I haven't even gotten to Dwayne Wade. Obviously, we're going to talk plenty of Dwayne. They need a guy who's a capable ball handler point guard type. They truly believe that Justice Winslow can be that guy. This offseason, in talking to Justice, he worked hard on it. I mean, he really went out there and worked hard on trying to be that guy and learning. Uh, the discussions I've had with him, he 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 feels ready. Uh, he's very happy with that role, and he's looking forward to it. And he need him to be because again, they enter the season without a true backup point guard. And when Goran Dragic isn't on the court, or even at times when Goran is, and you want to play him off the ball a little bit, get him moving a little bit, somebody has to have that ball in their hands. And I think Justice is going to get that crack. Let's stay with the young guys and go to Bam Adebayo. Bam, uh, I had numerous discussions with him, you know, throughout the off season. He came in and visited our studio to promote some charity work he did, and kind of kept in touch as far as his basketball stuff. And Bam told me, look, this offseason, all I did was work. Bam is not in a position of some of the other guys on the team. He's not an older guy. He doesn't have a family as far as kids and, and a wife and taking trips. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with that, trust me. But Bam was locked in all off season. you know, either playing video games or in the weight room. And he had some fun. He got to sit a little family time. But the bottom line is that Bam has been all off season working toward this, just wanting to make, after getting a taste of the NBA and showing what we could do, wanting to make that next step. What is that next step? Uh, I think the next step is the evolution of, of, of his finishing as far as not just an alley hoop guy, but a guy who can make moves in the lane, a guy who can get the ball in his hands, take it to the basket, make a spin move and throw it down, or lay it up, or off glass, a little bank shot, short jumpers. These are all things. I, I don't think Bam is ready to take the step from... What the game has become now with the big men taking three-point shots and, and stretching his game too much and extending it too much. But I think it's clear Bam is ready to not just be an alley-oop excitement guy. Uh, I talked to Bam again during camp, uh, during the exhibition season. Let me give you just a quick taste of what Bam talked about, about what he expects this year and and kind of his growth of how much better he wants to get and the fact that the team really believes in his abilities. That's a great feeling, just knowing you have that kind of support from your team but also your coaching staff and head coach I feel like them let me do that I feel like I can become something special so I'm just keep striving to do that. So there you can see why BAM is so excited you know you have your coaching staff on your side and they have told you look we want to put the ball in your hands we expect more from you we don't want to limit you that's a good feeling. And there's a reason by him is always smiling. He's a happy-go-lucky person, but he also understands he's in a great position here with the Heat. So the three young guys, the evolution of, of their game and where they go to, Jay Rich, Justice, and Bam, three important factors. I'm going to throw a couple of the young guys in there, one younger than another, one, one a guy that we know more about, about him and another that we don't. Let's go with Roddy Magruder first, the guy that I guess you could say is a veteran because a couple of years ago he started a lot of games for this team as a rookie Uh, last year had the setback with the injury Rodney in camp and in the exhibition games probably flashed more improvement than anyone outside of Jay Rich because I mentioned the glue guy you know that that's a Heat term the glue guy the guy that 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 you need the guy that can hustle after loose balls the guy that can play defense that you know is going to give you quality minutes Rodney's always been that guy since he's been with the Heat He's always been the hardest worker there. Like, you'll never outwork Rodney. I see him pregame. He's always the first one on the court. He's always working on his game. He's always pushing off guys. He's always pushing other guys. He is constantly working. In the offseason, I mentioned Bam, you know, being around. Rodney was always around the arena, always working, really trying to improve his game. Rodney showed something, I think, in the preseason that, and, and look, because of injuries early in the season, we're probably going to see a lot more Rodney, and you'll have to see if this is going to translate into the regular season an offensive game that I think many people that know Rodney was capable of and that he had and that you wonder if he could be consistent with. And it's not just three-point shooting. because Rodney's shown in the past, he can shoot. Given an open look, he can hit that three. It's the penetrating and finishing. And I think it's been interesting to watch Rodney attack and get in there and and finish off shots and and ones and hit layups and, and tough angles and situations where throughout his rookie year, whenever he did that, or even last year, again, he was injured most of the year, you got a little. He got in there. You kind of said to yourself, "Oh man, Rodney doesn't really have that go-to move to finish. He doesn't really have that strength or ability or that that know-how to finish at the rim." Well, guess what? We've seen a lot more of that in the exhibition season and in training camp. And I think the Heat are curious as to whether that translates and how much it can. They're confident it can. Uh, but Rodney is prepared. You know, we heard from uh, what Bam had to say about the excitement of the team, in him and the confidence of the team in him. Here's what Rodney told me about just the work he's put in to get back to this point and how excited he is about the opportunity to just play again and to be part of this rotation and to be healthy. It's a blessing. It is, it is a blessing, you know, to go on the camp, you know, healthy, you know, with a clear head. And, you know, just I'm just excited, you know, that I'm, I'm able to come back after the injury, you know, and feeling great. So I'm just excited for the task ahead. You kind of lose, lose sight of the moment when you try to plan ahead and think, and predict things for the future, but just take it one day at a time and, you know, just as coach says, just get 1% better and you get 1% better in that moment, you'll be prepared for when those matchups and those games come to help put you in a position to be successful. Very humble guy, Rodney Magruder. You're not going to hear him uh, brag too much about himself. That's about as, uh, about, I guess, as as talkative he gets about himself. Uh, He's not a guy that's going to put a lot of words about himself. He's more about the team and about the little things that it takes. But make no mistake about it, Rodney's an important rotation guy, at least to start the season. And if he can show that offense that we talked about, I think he's a guy that that will stay in that rotation. Derek Jones Jr. is the next guy. I talked about young guys, you know, and I didn't put him in the core three, not because I don't think he could be part of that core, but because let's face it, he's more of an unknown. You know, they call him airplane mode for a reason. The guy is just just a physical freak the way he flies up. You know, he got hurt in the preseason going for a crazy dunk. Uh, but it, it just goes to show, at any moment, it looks like he's just bouncing off a trampoline and get ready to put a put back in, throw down an alley hoop, or get a rebound. It's instant energy and excitement. But I think the question with Derrick Jones Jr. is, can he be more than just energy and excitement? Can he really give you a good run of minutes to where you're not just looking for him to slash and throw down alley hoops, which as great as that is, I mean, trust me, it's, it's you're going to see that this year and it's going to be fun, He needs to be able to show that he can handle the ball and get to the basket, make a move near the basket, take a jump shot when open. Like Justice, where teams probably are going to leave him out there on that island and let him shoot when he wants to, I think Derek is going to be in the same boat. I think teams are going to see him out in that corner. And look, if you want to take that shot, Derek, go ahead and take it. The Heat have really worked with him to evolve with that shot and to get better, but I don't think he's there yet. I certainly don't think he's where he wants to be. I think that's clear. I'm not even sure he's where I think you as a Heat fan would feel comfortable and say, hey, take that shot every time you get it. So teams are going to challenge him if he's on the outside to take that shot and just basically say like they have with Justice the last couple of years, show me you can make it, and then maybe I'll defend you a little harder. Teams are going to be much more concerned with him attacking and giving him him any kind of opening or lane to the basket where he could throw down a big slam as we saw. Again, we saw it in the summer league this this offseason, and we saw it a little bit in the preseason before he got hurt. Uh, and he goes into the season healthy and feeling good. Derek is a guy that I think more than any player early in the season is important. He's the kind of guy that could quickly fall out of the rotation if he doesn't show, he's ready for those steps. The Heat can't afford to just play everyone and and let guys grow through things if they don't produce because, again, they have so many guys. There are some teams that maybe have a 7-8 man rotation, eight guys that you feel comfortable with. This team has up to 10, 12 guys that Spoke and go to. I don't think he'll go that deep night in that night out. That's why early in the season, I think Derek is a guy that you've got to see what he could do, and he has to make the most of these chances with Justice out early, whether it's a game or two or three games, whatever it may be. Uh, Derrick Jones Jr. has flashed plenty in the in, in the past. The Heat signed them for a reason, re-signed them, brought them back because they're excited at his potential, but he needs to show up that potential from early in the season. On to the veterans, uh, you know, Wayne Ellington. I mentioned his ankle injury, but when Wayne comes back, he's going to be a key guy coming off screens, hitting those threes. He's a guy that when he gets hot, and he showed it in some games, I mean, late in the season, it was it that game against Toronto late in the year. I mean, he was lights out. When he gets hot, he's just almost unstoppable. The Heat need that from him because when you look at their three-point shooting, you know I mentioned Justice's improvement. Let's face it, the Heat aren't looking to Justice to be a key three-point guy night in and night out. Uh, they're going to need Dragon to hit those threes as, as you know spot-up threes when he gets that chance. He's become very consistent with that. Wayne, though, is the guy. I think Kelly Olynyk is the next guy. When you look at Kelly O in his first year, I think he did a lot of good things, but I think it took a while for the Heat to figure out how they wanted to use him. And as they use him this year, I I think Kelly's going to be much more involved in the offensive game plan, much more involved in that three-point shooting and that spot-up shot that he's shown off. Look, Kelly has those, uh, you call them old man moves, whatever it may be, under the basket where he finishes. He's got kind of a, a game where it kind of catches you sleeping and then he makes a quick spin move and lays it up. That's all great and you're going to get that from Kelly, but I think... They need to get that consistent shooting as well because the Heat want to play that that space, that pace and space game that Eric Spolster talks so much about, and they need to have guys that can knock down threes. That game doesn't work, and that penetration kickout doesn't work if you don't hit the shots. And when the Heat were at their best in the last two years, it's when Dion and Gorin attacked and other guys attacked, and you found and you, you spotted up for Jay Rich or Wayne or Gorin when he wasn't the attacker and hit those shots. I think Kelly falls in that category. I think Jay Rich as well. I already talked a little bit about Jay Rich's, you know, the next steps in his game. Jay Rich is the kind of guy that can shoot the three. Let's not forget his rookie year, how good he was in that second half shooting threes. I think he could be that guy again. I think he showed glimpses of it last year, and I think he's going to be more consistent with it this year. The Heat need those guys, Kelly O, Jay Rich, those guys to shoot those threes. Uh, When you look at James Johnson, I talked about his versatility J.J. could shoot threes as well, but his, his real, I think, benefit when healthy is the attacker, is the aggressor, is the not only the defender that'll take the charge, but the guy that will make you get out of the way and run through that lane and finish and lay up and attack. And, and again, we didn't see a lot of that because of the injury last year. We didn't know as it was going on that there was an injury. We learned after the season, and that kind of explained a lot. He needs to make sure that it truly was that and be that guy. Because J.J. two years ago was that guy and they need that attacker again. Ball handler as well. I think J.J. at times will have the ball in his hands. I think when you move into the next uh, tier of guys, you look at Hassan. I mean, we could probably do an entire podcast on how important Hassan Whiteside is for the Heat. And I'm going to talk about him in just one minute. (laughs) Because the thing with him is that he is the kind of guy that can change the game with his defense, but also change the game with his effort. But he could also change the game with his lack of effort. Uh, the games where he was, for lack of a better term, moping, and not into every play, were the most frustrating games that you could watch as a Heat fan because the ball would slip out of his hands, he wouldn't finish strong when he'd have a good entry pass, and he'd fumble it out of bounds or a turnover. He'd put his head down, Spell would pull him. You just would It, it was a kind of a broken record of that, and it hit the climax of that, obviously, in the Philadelphia series against Embiid, where, quite frankly, Hassan was embarrassed. He was absolutely embarrassed. The Heat did everything they can in the offseason, including Hassan and Spo meeting, Spo making it clear how much they need him and what they expect from him. Hassan, to his credit, getting in phenomenal shape. Not that shape was ever a problem with Hassan, but there's always the next level, and I think Hassan, from a physical standpoint reached that next level this soft season shoulders are just broad and strong he worked on his grip strength he worked on his core he really wants to come back and prove to people he can be that double double machine the guy who's doing it with blocks for a triple double i still have a faith in the belief that maybe i'm crazy maybe we're having this conversation in a few months into the season or at the end of the season saying what in the world was anyone thinking thinking that hassan was going to take that next step again he took the steps back I think some would say even two or three steps back. Can he make the steps forward to where he was? And can he even make a bigger step? That is going to dictate a lot of the success of the Miami Heat this year. If they don't have Hassan and they have that mopey or day-to-day, you don't know what you're going to get, Hassan, not every player – is going to be consistent every night. And Hassan's going to fall into that category. I'm not saying he's not going to have bad nights, but it can't be because of lack of effort. It can't be because of lack of discipline. It has to be because he just has a bad night. And too often we've seen Hassan, for those other reasons, have bad nights. And I don't think Eric Spolsky is going to put up with it. He's not. He's got too many guys in this rotation. It goes back to what I mentioned about the guys in rotation. Too many guys. Bam is not going to ever have an effort issue. Bam is never going to have a concentration issue. His issue may be like he's over-energetic. He's just a, you know, a second-year player. He may struggle sometimes. Again, but it's never going to be for lack of discipline or lack of effort. That's something Hassan has to remember night in and night out. Who you get and what you get from Hassan, a big storyline in the season is certainly something we're going to watch from the beginning of the season. Notice all the names I'm saying. These are names we're all familiar with. There are no new guys to this team. There is nobody that you're saying to, oh, I you know, what does this guy bring? Last year you had Kelly O, you had different guys. This year you have the same team. There are so many people that I've talked to and so many times that I've read from others that have said that's a bad thing. But to a man, the Heat say that that's a good thing. They believe that continuity is a good thing. No one is tricking themselves into thinking that the Heat Are the Golden State Warriors. No one on that roster is. I don't even think anyone on that roster is tricking themselves to think that they are or should go into the season as a favorite over the Celtics or those other teams I mentioned. But they're not going to shy away from competing against those teams and having a shot to be as good or knock them out when it comes to the playoffs. And a big reason why is that continuity, that comfort. Here's what James Johnson told me about that comfort and why it's so important to him and the guys on this roster. The more you get to know guys, the more you can put them in in a better situation to succeed you know i feel like all of us are coming together and we're even stronger as as a brotherhood as a locker room as a unit and we we know how to get the best out of each other you know doing three years with, with somebody will will change the aspect of how you think you might ride somebody to their best potential you know you you know what triggers people you know what gets people going um so it's it's a lot of upside it so that's J.J., but how about Eric Spolstra? He's the guy who's got to shuffle these guys around. Uh, he's tired of the narrative, and, you know, I mentioned it to him, and the, and the first thing he said to me was he kind of rolled his eyes a little, and you can't obviously in a podcast see the eye roll, but there was an eye roll there from Spo because, trust me, he heard it all offseason. He heard it all training camp. He heard it all exhibition games. Like, how are you going to mix and match these guys? It's the same team. Why bring back the same team? Why do this again? If you're a 40-something win team and it's the same team, why do it again? Here's what Spo had to say for the people who ask that we had an idea that this was the group that we were going to have and we feel excited about it Um, you know it's unfortunate that uh, there's a narrative out there that you constantly have to make change Um, nobody has the correct template except for one team golden state has it right now okay everybody else is just trying to figure it out but we feel really excited about the possibilities with this group particularly when everybody's healthy you know and guys in and out of the lineup and some guys that miss big chunks of the season uh last year you need depth you need talent we feel like we we have it now we have to prove it and we're willing you know to play for it um you know and regardless of what people are saying so obviously Eric Spolscher is happy with the guys he has and look every coach has got to tell you that I really think Spo believes it though I think he really thinks that he has got a comfort level with these guys that he is going to not need to be I think Kind of a mad scientist throwing things into the pot there and trying to figure out what comes out and what kind what kind of formula you make and what you do. Spoh doesn't see it that much that way. He sees it as I know these guys so well and I've been around them so much that I can get a feel right away who I need to go to on a particular night in a particular situation. Uh, I think when you look at that perspective, you know, because I've gone back and forth. Trust me, there's a part of me that says, you know, how does Eric Spohler do this? Is he really going to be able to do this night out? And is he more often than not going to screw it up? Not because he's a, he's a bad coach. Trust me. I, I think the world of Eric Spelstra. But because when you have so many options, sometimes it's easier to screw up. I've said this about, you know, people say, well, look at Brett Brown and Brad Stevens and uh, these up-and-coming coaches. Their rotations are tight. These guys don't have the questions. They have superstars, and then they have next-tier guys. And they can mix and match that with ease. It, it, I'm not saying their coaching is easy. But certainly the rotations aren't a complicated thing when you've got those kind of players. Eric Spolstra, night in and night out, has got to figure, okay, is this the night I play Rodney Moore? Is this the night that I play Dwayne Moore minutes? Is Dion going to have the big night? Is Justice going to? Is Justice feeling it and attacking? Should I put the ball in his hands It's kind of a point forward more? Is Gorin the guy? Can Bam be athletic? I mean, look at all these names I'm saying. I haven't even mentioned Tyler Johnson. And Tyler's another guy I want to talk about because Tyler's a guy that... It's kind of got lost in this. The only time Heat fans seem to bring up Tyler is either about his teeth or his contract. And that's unfair because Tyler got that contract because I think he's got the talent to be a damn good player. Now, I know what you're probably saying if you're listening to this. Well, he hasn't been. He hasn't been consistent, and you're right. But the Heat, again, believe that Tyler can be that guy. He's part of that logjam, and like all the other guys I've mentioned, has to earn those minutes. But Tyler is a guy that I really feel has the ability to, to take over some games and to take over stretches of games. And he is important on this team. Make no mistake about it. I think the Heat really need And guys, it's not about finances. It's not because he's making 19 million. It's not because you may think he has an awful contract and the Heat overpaid. I'm not here to debate that or discuss that because it doesn't matter. He's got the contract because he's got and and it's just the way it works in the NBA. You give a guy money and you hope he produces. Let's be honest, Tyler hasn't produced to that contract. I think we can all agree with that. I think the Heat internally would agree with that. But I don't think that they would say that because they don't feel he has the talent to take that next step. So what does Tyler Johnson do? Again, early in the season with these injuries, Tyler's a guy that will likely get some minutes. And when you are you don't have Deion around, and when you're trying to kind of be careful and finesse Dwayne's minutes, I think the minutes and the opportunity will be there for Tyler But if he doesn't, I mentioned Rodney earlier and Derek Jones Jr. guys have to make the most of their minutes. If Tyler doesn't make the most of his minutes, I don't care how much money he makes, Spo will go elsewhere. And Spo will find a rotation and a balance he likes with certain guys that he will use unless you prove that you need those minutes. And Tyler's got a golden opportunity to take advantage of that time and those minutes because Eric Spolstra believes in him. He really believes in him. And what he can do... We'll have to see, but I I really think that you look at Spo and you you look at the minutes he's given Tyler in crunch time just two years ago, nobody in the NBA had more fourth-quarter minutes than Tyler Johnson. People forget that. He was a closer for the Heat. Last year, took a step back, no doubt about it. Uh, Looked lost at times. You wonder if it was a confidence thing or what, but Tyler feels he's ready. As far as what Tyler has to say, I'm going to give you a glimpse of the conversation I had with Tyler, too, during training camp. And just his thoughts on this team, on himself, on the things that need to happen uh, for him to take that next step, because obviously that's going to be a focus for the Heat to try to get the most out of Tyler Johnson. For me personally, I just want to continue getting better at the mental side of basketball. The physical aspect, the Heat are always going to have you ready to physically play basketball. I, uh, you know, they they love to to have guys in the gym, and so it's that's never been a question. I think the uh, the part of basketball that I've always um, wanted to understand and get better at is the mental side. And every year I feel like I've taken a step. And so this year I feel like it's time to put it all together. All right, so Tyler knows the opportunity is there. He's confident in himself. The team has confidence in him. We've kind of gone through everyone, except uh, the last guy to talk about in this rotation and maybe the biggest guy, certainly the biggest storyline of this team, and that's Dwayne Wade. Look, Dwayne called it his one last dance. And as we enter the season, I'm not getting too much in the nostalgia of it because I think as the year goes on, trust me, we'll have podcasts. We're doing a special show on Local 10 all about Dwayne's career and reflection and reflection from his teammates. Everyone knows what Dwayne Wade has meant to this organization, what he means to this team. Uh, but what he means to this season, to start the season, I think with Dwayne is... He needs to stay in that role they played last year with him when he came back and he, and he came back to Miami and he played those minutes as the, as the guy off the bench, at times the finisher, at times the closer. A guy who can make some big plays and spurts, but that you really got to manage and finesse those minutes. I think you got to be careful with that from the start of the season because let me tell you something about Dwayne. He did not come back as some part of farewell tour where all he cares about is the ovation he gets every night and, and seeing everybody tell him how wonderful he is and then he goes on into the sunset. That is not why Dwayne Wade came back. He came back to play. He came back to be a vital part of this team playing. He came back to leave this game and say I gave everything I had. You know, I know that I was an elite player and I know I always played hard, but I left the organization that gave me an opportunity and that I became the face of that franchise. I left them in good shape by playing hard an entire season making a playoff run and leaving it in the good hands of some young players to the future and a front office that is going to have to have the difficult task we all knew would come one day, and that's moving on, truly moving on, life without Dwayne Wade. But again, this isn't a farewell tour in my mind, certainly not early in the season. This is a Dwayne Wade is a vital part of this roster. You know, as the the offseason went on, what's the one thing everybody talked about? You know, is Dwayne coming back, Dwayne coming back? I obviously thought the same thing. I didn't look at it from a nostalgia standpoint that I wanted to see number 3 on the court one last time. I looked at it from, man, if the Heat don't have Dwayne Wade, I think this team takes a massive step back. And it's crazy when you think about a 35-year-old guy who clearly has lost a step in his game, isn't Flash, isn't that elite player, but is still good enough that in key moments in the playoffs, he was your best player. Not only did he win you a game, he almost won you two games against one of the up-and-coming teams in the Eastern Conference in the NBA, one of the teams we talked about earlier that's expected to make that next step in a contention to win the East, he was the reason that you were even in that series for a portion of it, which is crazy to think, and it shows you how important Dwayne is. So I'm not going to spend too much time on the nostalgia, not because I don't love Dwayne, not because I'm not thinking about how amazing his career has been and what he means and what it's going to be like when he truly wears that heat uniform for the last time. I just know that's coming later in the offseason. And, and I know that for now, the focus for Dwayne Wade isn't farewell tour, it isn't nostalgia, it isn't the end. It's the beginning of a season, the excitement of feeling like a little kid and knowing that, hey, the season's here. Here's Dwayne right on the eve of the start of the season talking about why it's it doesn't matter how old you are, how good it feels to get the season rolling. You know, you're excited, you're anxious, you know, to get it going. You've worked, worked hard to this point. You know, I think every team, we beat up each other enough. I think every team just want to get out there and play, you know, um, against another opponent. And, and start a the season. It's a long season, but it's always exciting at this time of the year for every team in the league. And everybody got a chance right now. So it's very exciting for everybody. So there you have it. Uh, Dwayne Wade excited. The Heat excited. What can we expect to see from this team? Let's look at big picture. I've talked about the individuals, but let's look at it as a whole. Clearly Eric Spoelstra is going to have, going to make his money, earn his money, and trying to figure out how to use certain guys, how to use the rotation. I think he'll do that. I think he'll figure it out. Can this team score enough? I think that's a legitimate question. Can this team be consistent? Can they avoid those bad third quarters or those bad stretches of games where they just disappear offensively? They can't, this team, the way the NBA is now, you just can't have those 12 point quarters, those 10 point quarters where you fall behind by 15, 20 points because the Heat, this isn't the Heat team of the big three that can have a 25 2 run. This is a team that needs to grind out within the game and play solid offense. Play top 10 defense. I think that's the key for this team. At times last year, they were a top 10 defense. There was slippage at times, too, where you say to yourself, well, what's going on? You know, why is this team struggling? I think sometimes they got caught up in trying to play a certain pace that they lost a little bit about what they did defensively. I think Eric Spolster saw that on film. I think Eric Spolster knows how the identity of this team really starts with defense. This team needs to be a top 10 defense to have success. They need the development of the young players I mentioned, in particular the three that I mentioned earlier in Jay Rich, Justice, and Bam. They need to stay healthy. There's no doubt about that. They can't have Gorn and Hassan, these guys. Dion, when he comes back, have a setback. JJ. Last year, as, as deep as this team is, they really need everyone they have for a certain role. When they lose a guy, it's not like next man up necessarily is that easy because next man up, you lose that depth and you lose kind of what makes this team tick. And as we heard Eric Spolster say earlier, he likes the options. He likes the continuity. He likes all of these guys. As you also heard Spoh say, make no mistake about it, no one thinks the Miami Heat are going to be a finals team this year. I'm not going to say that players say that, because they don't take losers' mentalities. But there's no doubt that the Heat are a middle-of-the-pack team in the Eastern Conference that is trying to make that step into the next tier. If they trade for Jimmy Butler and maybe make that step, we'll see. We'll have the discussion then. How do they get to that next step, though, without making a move? Health? Growth? From those guys, defense intensity night in and night out, and an offensive rhythm and identity that Spo has been preaching now with this team for three years, to play with a certain pace, to play with a certain continuity, to know what your role is and what you need to do, and be consistent throughout the game. The heat will be in most games if they can do that. And I think they could play with anyone in the East. Now, could they play in a seven-game series in a playoffs? Obviously, against a Boston or a Philly, we saw last year. It's a tough ask. I think this team wants that challenge again and that chance again, because I think they truly feel that they know each other so well, and if healthy, they can be a team that can make some noise in the first round of the playoffs and maybe get in that second round as it did a few years ago, And, and I think that is, I guess you could say, the ceiling for this team. I think a second round appearance, again, all this barring trades and moves and anything like that, I think making a second round appearance is probably the true ceiling for this team, even though... Depending on if there's injuries, last year had Gordon Hayward get hurt in Boston. It happens. Teams get hurt. You know, they obviously didn't affect them that much because they kept on advancing. But you have teams that could have injuries, could have setbacks, the Heat being one of them. I think if the Heat stay healthy, who knows how the East breaks. Maybe they can make some noise in the playoffs. But I think it's fair to say as the season begins, the, the kind of the upside of this team is a second-round playoff team. The downside is a team that has struggles, maybe has injuries, and doesn't even make the playoffs. We saw that two years ago. What do I think this team will be? I think it's a 45 win team and a 6 team fifth or sixth team in the East. I think 5 or 6 is where they are for now because I truly think that top 4 uh, is probably going to be closer to the 50 win range. Uh, a couple of those teams obviously over 50 wins, but I think that 50 win range which I really think is probably beyond the ceiling what the Heat can hit. I think the Heat can be anywhere from a 43 to 48 win team. Uh, And I think that's where they'll be. I think they'll be in that window. I think that window gets you in the playoffs, obviously. But the question is, does it get you as an 8 seed or a 5 seed or maybe somehow even sneak into a 4 seed? I think that's unlikely, the 4 seed scenario. But I don't don't see why the Heat couldn't be a 5 or 6 seed and be a team that, if all breaks right, can make some noise and win a hard-fought first-round series and then see how you match up against the more elite teams on paper entering the season the Bostons, the Phillies, the Torontos in that second round. So that's my take. That's my Miami Heat preview. Uh, I know we're going to talk a lot of Heat basketball. Uh, Follow me on Twitter, at Will Manso WPLG is my work account. For those that already follow me, at Will Manso, but at Will Manso WPLG, because we'll be talking a lot of Heat basketball. Give me your thoughts on this podcast. Give me your thoughts and your predictions as well. I'm going to say 45 wins for the Miami Heat. Uh, Hallelujah. Heat basketball is back. The Heat are back to work. As they begin now, the 2018-2019 season. Enjoy the season, everyone. Dwayne Wade's last dance, a big storyline. We'll certainly be enjoying that as the Heat get back to work.